Hello and a very warm welcome to a new episode of Women Build, brought to you by World Architecture News from Alison and Nav. In today's episode, we speak to Adele Rankin and Megan Van Dorn about designing multi-residential buildings. Adele is the managing partner of B&H's Vancouver studio and global design lead of Chill Interior Design, the hospitality studio of B&H. She believes the most important aspect of design is creating meaningful spaces and has been principal since 2016, helping establish the firm studio in Vancouver, Toronto and Hong Kong. Megan is the director of design for the architectural team with nearly 15 years of experience in design and project management for multifamily and single family residential, institutional, hospitality and corporate workspace interiors. She has a keen interest in sustainability and end user well-being, bringing valuable insights on the latest design techniques for environmental benefits, wellness and mindfulness. Thank you for joining us today. Adele, if I could come to you first, how would you define a multi-residential building? I use this as a defining way to say, I don't do single family homes and I, I don't necessarily do mixed use. So for us, this is kind of interchangeable with even saying uh, towers of residential, um, meant to really indicate mass and scale and size more than anything. And Megan, would you define it differently? I think while I would agree with a lot of what Adele just said, I would also want to focus on the fact that what you want in the end result is a sense of community. And I think the underlying facet of the interior side of multi-unit projects is how do you create space that creates that sense of community, that fosters that sense of community um, and allows individuals to sort of come together in common spaces and have a shared experience. And thinking of these common spaces, how has the pandemic changed the needs of the people you're designing for? Yeah, it's funny a lot of what were oncoming trends have really just increased um, and have really gained momentum throughout this pandemic. So while we had already been building in work from home spaces prior to the pandemic, what's happening now is that they're really becoming multifaceted work from home spaces. So whereas before we might have had one or two pods or you're popping a conference room into kind of a little corner, now they're really becoming true zones where people are spending half of their working day, if not more. Um, And so we're creating them to feel more like a coffee shop. We're creating them to feel more like somebody's primary working environment. Other than that, I think really the biophilic and the access to light and air and the outdoors, that indoor-outdoor kind of emphasis has really, really gotten to be much more important throughout the pandemic. And Adele, I wonder if you could tell us what are architects and designers doing to ensure that they are meeting the changing needs of the people they're designing for in a time where people are expecting so much more from their homes? I think it's a really fantastic challenge that we've all been presented with. You know, if we could put the most positive spin over this time, you know, Megan really touched upon the expectations of what people are now wanting out of their building. But I think it goes to really the way that people have started to look at their home as being so much more important than they did just a couple of years ago even. And that home is not literally about just their unit that they live in or just their apartment that they're in. It's about the mass amount of space that's now provided throughout the building that is an extension of their home. So prior to this 
we used to provide spaces that met sort of more of the basic needs and, and maybe more of the basic general needs. And now we're really looking to, um, to be much more niche about what those those spaces will be providing. So before we used to have a multifunctional space and now those spaces are becoming very specific for what people will need. So we spend a lot of time understanding what the specific demographic on in the building uh, and the neighborhood and the community are expecting. So I think what I could say, what we could do to ensure that we're meeting the needs is, is the first thing is we have to listen. We have to really pay attention and explore a lot a lot of options, first and foremost. Well, I think Adele just nailed it, right? It really is. You have to listen to what this demographic, this group of people, this client wants this community to feel like. I think it's so important to understand who you're building the space to so that you can build it for them. Really, it's those initial conversations and then checking back in throughout the design and the construction process. This world changes so quickly to make sure that you are pinging back to that introduction navigational point, right? To that really that conceptual nugget from which you're building the rest of the project. And I will say Adele also nailed it when she mentioned how specific the spaces are becoming. It's not a multi-use space in so much as it is a space that needs to function for multiple individuals in multiple ways for a specific behavior. Exactly. I think that one of the things that's really been interesting over this time as well is that, you know, the time from creating a design to the through the build to to the execution you know that can span a good four to five years in in a project or more um, depending on the the rate of the build but what we've also been finding over this time is developers and operators and investors changing their mind about the direction of some spaces and that has been a really kind of welcoming challenge the fact that they're willing to stop a design that's already in motion to say you know what that was too years ago that we thought that that was important. What do we need to change Mm -hmm. collectively now to recognize the needs and demands of of the buyers or the renters that are coming in? And so we've had quite a few projects where we've done an about face where we went from sort of very general spaces to very specific spaces, or we infused the design with much more personality that maybe people were a little bit more afraid to to make so specific before and that we're able to embrace. I, I I think that's a really exciting time for uh, both designers and end users for that as well. And on that note of people changing their minds, how much flexibility are you building into these spaces and how adaptable are you making them? For example, a room could be used as a yoga studio and then during half term, it can be changed into a children's crash or playroom. Yeah, I think that that is not happening as much anymore from from the projects that I've been working on, where there is a um, an expectation of commitment now. But that's not to say that there's not concern from everybody involved that we're making the right commitment. You know, if you're if you're subdividing spaces into smaller like Zoom rooms and things, and then is that going to be okay, or is the the community going to demand something differently within the next year? I personally feel that when there is a flexibility built in that tends to water down the use of the space to begin with. So you're kind of left with something that's borderline without a, a real viewpoint. But I do think that 
operationally, if you're able to make something quite flexible, then that would be great. It's just, it's not been my experience to date, though. I'd be interested if Megan feels differently about that. Yeah, it's so interesting. And thinking through that, I think there are some spaces that do lend themselves. So now to your point, the the idea of changing a yoga room, which is really just an empty space into, you know, housing a dance party for kids who are on their February school break, kind of that isn't that hard to reach. I think once you get into those work from home spaces, it really is such a specific use that it's hard to think of those being used in multiple ways. Now, I will say in our senior living projects, which are still it's another type of multi-unit, thinking about that and doing multi-use in those environments is quite different than, say, a building uh, with a demographic for 20 to 30 years old, in so much that you could have um, an open conference table where you have one group using it for book club and somebody else using it for, say, a volunteer organization that they're working for. So while the function might change a bit, it's a little bit easier to use those as multi-use. When I start to think about younger demographics, then I start to think about the timing and time of the day that it's being used. So we are designing lots of areas that kind of have an open bar concept or a, a coffee bar feel to them during the day with the anticipation that at night that will change and somebody will come down with their beer, serve their friends some wine, and everybody can sort of be alone together after hours as well as they are during the workday. And what are some examples of other amenities you've been able to include in your projects? So I think one of the biggest ones for us is leasing spaces. So the leasing office space is now becoming a space for end users to use as well and for leasing agents to potentially be in those open sort of work from home spaces. So the fluidity of those spaces is something we're seeing definitely becoming a larger trend. Other ones are focusing more on activities that become more popular throughout the course of the pandemic. So we're seeing across all facets and across all demographics, things like golf simulators becoming a necessity. We have clients who will do that over almost anything else. Uh, We've got climbing walls in multiple, both interior and exterior and spaces like there have been requests for pickleball courts. So all kinds of um, how do you get together and safely intermingle throughout all four seasons um, and sort of stay active. So that active use space is definitely much more of a a focus, I would say. Did you say pickleball court? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's just an American or a North American thing. But yes, it's like, how would you describe it? It's ping pong, tennis, and like squash sort of rolled all into (laughs) one for Um, a certain demographic yeah it used to just be for those who you know played shuffleboard maybe the majority of the day pickleball was like their their other activity but now it's become very like it's the it's the new cool axe throwing activity. Um, everybody's doing it. Right. Well, Alison and I have definitely learned something new today. One of your focuses is designing for end user well-being. How can you ensure that these amenities are contributing to that? Well, I think, as I mentioned before, the importance of connection to the outdoors and biophilic design and how can we kind of create that constant connection for our end users, regardless of demographics. So working with our architecture teams and ensuring that there's 
access to light and air as much as possible um, throughout the building. For some of the older demographics that we designed towards, we're doing things like building indoor gardens so that regardless of the temperature outside, somebody can access at their level uh, the natural world, the natural growing environment, and building outdoor spaces as well that have herb gardens and rose gardens we've designed um, so that regardless of the age and demographic, people can actually engage with that natural world. Um, And then really creating a focal point. So I would say the majority of our projects have at least one, if not two, natural focal points, whether that be an inner courtyard in an urban project or an exterior garden space that allows people to for lack of a better term, promenade around the property and really engage with the natural environment surrounding the building itself. You mentioned before people are going for far more colour. I think I've got a quote here that people want to take risk with pattern and colour now. Do you find with biophilic design that is something that's addressed? Do you sort of err towards various shades of green to emphasise the link between the outside and the inside, which is now so important? I think green is definitely becoming a much more prominent color in our palettes, but I think more than that, we're looking for any sort of color that's reflected in nature. So whether it's the flowers that you see, there's just a lot more dimension and depth to the colors that we're willing to place in front of a client. Whereas five or six years ago, it was which shade of gray would you like? You know, do you want a warm gray or a, or a or cool gray? And we'll build a palette around that. Now it's much more multidimensional. It feels more like painting a piece of art. These buildings, is the division of the areas within them changing? So are rooms getting smaller? Because I'm guessing the footprint over all of these buildings is similar. So are they being divided up into a different sort of group of rooms to accommodate these new interests? In my experience, yes. So it's the same amount of square footage that we're seeing. It's just being divided into many more um, smaller use-specific spaces. So maker spaces where you might be making a a variety of things, but you've got your space to go be messy. You've got your golf simulator space. You've got your climbing wall, your active spaces, your work-from-home spaces. Whereas before we were designing one space to serve lots of different activities, people like to engage with their environment on a human scale. And I think some some of those spaces we were building previously, it was too large. People want to feel cozy. And so it's important that we design spaces that make people feel secure and comforted, especially during things like a pandemic. Yeah, there's, there's a, a big element of psychology, isn't there, into in, in this as well. So would you agree with that, Adele? Are you seeing that rooms are staying sort of similar size? I completely agree. And I, I think the recognizing how big these spaces used to be, it was really daunting for people to go into it, especially if you're by yourself and you wanted to get out of your unit, you wanted to go and read a book or do whatever in a lounge and you walk into a space that feels a bit like a hall, you know, and and you you can't find your nook. You know, it's like walk, it's, you know, and I think it's the same kind of psychology that makes a, a very good restaurant, makes a very good hotel lobby, it makes for a very good public space is is somewhere where you can find your moment 
And the subdividing of the spaces is really helping with that. And we are finding some of our clients are getting a little bit pushed by marketing into releasing some space extra uh, that would have been a few units that will allow them to divide areas, especially if there's noise concerns. You know, if we're creating the karaoke lounge, I want to make sure that's buffered well enough away from certain things or the same thing with a theater. So we are being surprised somewhat of the scale of the amenity areas that are being provided. And I think it's really exciting because it's just translating again to everybody listening. Is it that people want to do more of these activities in their own home rather than going out to um, amenities? Yeah, we're, we're finding that. And we're finding also with, you know, we, we work on um, sort of new buildings in uh, a lot of kind of new communities or burgeoning communities where a developer will have a master plan of, you know, five or six buildings. And so really the intent is that the buildings themselves become their own community. Do you find that these changes that you're mentioning are being replicated on a global basis? My experience tends to be more Canada and, and Asia. We have offices in, in Shanghai, Singapore and Hong Kong and Shenzhen. So I have the ability to do projects over there, but also to speak with our colleagues there to find out what's happening on that side of the world and what's important to them. And I think that there's definitely some commonalities um, in terms of where people are going. And I think that we've touched on it quite a bit on this on this chat which is providing more options and more amenities but of course that is a very different conversation if you're talking on the suburbs of Beijing versus downtown Hong Kong because you just don't you don't have the space in a lot of areas the other thing that we have noticed is that overall luxury levels are increasing in the work that we're doing, we're, we're seeing that there's a, a great demand for developers and clients to differentiate themselves. And they're seeing that as one of the ways, if it can't be done with space and the way that space is carved out, it has to be done through materials and and sort of all the offerings that you can. And, you know, luxury is defined in multitude of different ways um, globally, but we are finding sort of an elevated sense of of design you have to adapt it to the cultures but um that's that's what we've seen so far what technologies do you find are now being used and developed to make designing and building these multi-residential buildings easier or more attainable and I'm, I'm thinking sort of vr computer programs do you use that kind of thing is that still an essential part of design Oh, it's so essential now. I think more than ever, right? This industry is just exploding at the moment. And if we didn't have some of these technologies, there's no way we would be able to keep up and really manage the multiple aspects of any building going up from the mechanical engineer and their drawings through our interiors drawings and that coordination. Um, Programs like Revit and BIM are what allow that to happen as seamlessly as it does. VR is definitely growing. We still have clients who sort of shudder at the cost of... 
uh, virtual re- reality. I hope that changes soon. Uh, static uh, renderings are still very, you know, computer generated renderings are a huge part of our design. Um, they're typically done as part of the marketing process, but we find more and more that they're used as part of the design process because, as I'm sure all of you know, um, some people can envision things three dimensionally in their brains, but most of the world cannot. Um, and being able to say, here, this is what we're planning for you is such an amazing tool for us. So thank you again, ladies. Um, really appreciate it. Um, I now know what pickleball is. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for having us. Okay, bye. We welcome your feedback on the podcast. So please aim all your comments to waneditorial at haymarket.com. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So follow, download and join us as we look into the world of architecture from a female perspective, wherever you are. (laughs) 